bless them. Just let your spirit just flow forth from him, Lord. Let your words come forth mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. We are traversing through the book of Acts, and Paul spoke on Saul, who became Paul, in the book of Acts. And we're going to start, CJ, would you be able to put Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3 on the screen here? We're going to read this together. So if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible right there. Okay. So let's all read this together. And Saul approved of his execution... And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison, now, CJ, I believe it's 931. If you could jump to that scripture in Acts. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Okay, so you see two different pictures of the state of the church. Snippet number one, church is in crisis, right? Stephen becomes the first martyr, and there is a momentum, a demonic, hellish momentum to ravage the fledgling church. And things are bad, right? And there's a key player in this persecution. Who's, who's the person who's the key player in the persecution of the church? Did I hear a Saul? Okay, I heard a Saul. Okay. I would say he's probably the MVP of hell at this time. Okay. Among all of the, the Pharisees of that group, it seems that there's nobody more aggressive, more passionate about killing Christians bringing him off to prison, then Saul is. Okay, so he is, he is the kingpin to go against God's kingdom on earth. When you think about Paul, just tell me some characteristics about him, of his personality, his behavior. Uh, both, because they're the same person. Intense, Intense yes, it's good. Type A to the max. Straightforward, yes. Competitive, yeah. Okay. Unafraid, leader. Yeah, okay. So he's very determined. He's very passionate. He's very diligent. He's going to get the job done. Okay. Are those bad qualities? They're not bad qualities, but they're being given over to a bad purpose, like the worst purpose in the world. To govern the kingdom of God is not a good thing, right? That's the worst. So when Paul gets converted, 
do those things really change in his personality or the way he lives life? Okay. He he may have softened a little bit. Okay, he was less murdery. So there were certain methods and attitudes that changed, but it seems that his personality as a whole pretty much stay the same, but all that energy and all that devotion and all that passion was channeled to something that was actually life-given. In other words, it was like his electrical socket got unplugged from hell and got plugged into heaven, right? Okay, so I think of people who who have passion and and are dedicated and are influencers because he was a huge influencer but they're they're connected to the wrong source right and to think that people who who can really do awful things god can hijack that and liberate them and they can do awesome things for the lord which i think is in, encouraging I don't think that the Christians were expecting Paul to come to salvation. Do you? No. Okay. Um, are there people in your life, maybe you've prayed for a long time, maybe they're family members, maybe they're people at work, and you haven't seen change. Anybody? Can you raise a hand? Any, anybody like that? Okay, I see some hands. Okay. Some people, their hearts seem so hardened to the gospel as Paul's was, and you love them and you... You pray and you pray, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Well, God can do it, right? God does do it. Luke 18.1, Jesus tells a parable. And the point of the parable with the unjust judge and the widow, the whole point is to keep on praying and never give up. Do our prayers have impact in heaven? Absolutely. And sometimes it takes a long time. And in my life... There are people that I know who I've been praying for for years. I have an unsafe brother. I don't even have a relationship with him. He disowned my mom like eight, nine years ago. So we're talking like really bad stuff in my family. But am I still praying for a salvation? Am I still praying for reconciliation and healing in my family? The answer is yes. So my exhortation for you is don't give up. Keep praying and believe that God can do the miraculous in a person's heart and in a person's spiritual life. There are no hopeless cases. There are no hopeless cases. And Father, we just lift up our family and friends right now. Lord, those whom, whom we love, those whom we've been interceding for, been praying for, and maybe there's been discouragement uh, that their hearts are still hardened towards you, Father. You are a good Father. You are rich in mercy. Jesus, you came to seek and save that which was lost. That which was lost. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move on the hearts of our loved ones who don't know you, our friends who do not know you, and especially those, Lord, it's just been so long we haven't seen a change. Father, we ask for a special grace this morning to touch them, we ask for an encounter from heaven, an encounter of grace, an encounter of mercy that should rip off the veil off of their hearts. Rip the veil off of their hearts. Father, you are the God who is rich in mercy. You are the one who brings forth salvation. 
So we just declare that in Jesus' name. We declare a harvest in the name of Jesus Christ, a harvest for family and for friends and for co-workers. Father, for it is your will, Jesus Christ will not die in vain, and he shall bring many into his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So we go back to the storyline, the narrative in the book of Acts. It's building and building and building. The church is building. It's prospering. It's increasing. The hand of God is on it. Thousands come to salvation. And the first real, real, real bump in the road beyond the, there are some conflicts. Uh, we had Ananias and Sapphira. We had um, the enemy is trying to infiltrate the church, but the Holy Spirit counters that. And the church grows, and God redeems the conflict. But now, now we're at a real crisis. Okay, you think, think of you. You're living in the Twin Cities, living in Roseville, wherever. And all of a sudden, there's such an anti-Christian movement. Your faith is so hated by the the authorities in the area, in the region, uh, that they're going to take you to jail. They're going to separate your family. They might even kill you. Uh, this was the reality for the church in Jerusalem. Now. The church is being ravished. It's being ravished. Families, houses are being ravished by the kingdom of hell, working through Paul, uh, working through others. Would it be hard for you to leave Roseville and just walk out of here? Anybody? Paul, would that be hard for you to have to just leave because your life is at stake? Your family could be ripped to shreds? Okay, that's reality. And the reality is um, Jesus says all nations are going to hate you for my name's sake. So you know what? Sometime in this land, there will be persecution. There will be hatred. And there may be people that have to flee. Okay? The Bible pretty much promises global persecution of Christians. Okay? We see its inception now as Saul is persecuting the church. Um, They're getting more in a defensive posture. And I would have to believe, even though it doesn't specifically say that they're starting to cry out to God. Okay, people tend to cry out to God who believe in God in the midst of a crisis situation. So as this time happens, now it says on that day, we know that a day is often not referring to a single day, but it's referring to a time period in the Bible. Is that true? It is true. So in this time period, a great persecution is being pushed against the church. Um, Stephen is buried Saul is going house to house, dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. Uh, But God redeems this because as the Christians are pushed out of Jerusalem, the gospel is going with them into other regions. That's pretty cool. Okay? But it's a really really hard time for the church. It's, It's the most difficult time they've ever had to deal with. So then we jump over to chapter 9. And there Saul is encountered by Jesus Christ. And it's very dramatic. And I would call this the turning of the tide. Okay, now let's look at the big picture. Like in the, in the book of Daniel, there are references to the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, uh, and they're not human. They're actually spiritual powers and principalities. So, you can look at things like this and say, okay, God has established a church. He's established a kingdom. It's his family. 
They're doing good. Now that earthly family kingdom is getting smashed. Um, some people shared about some challenging circumstances. I, I know the Volkers, I think for a long time now, have had some pretty challenging circumstances, okay? Um, how many people are going through some pretty challenging? It could be internal, it could be external circumstances. Okay, so there's some hands here. A whole community is going through some really challenging circumstances, like really challenging circumstances here. However, God has a plan. God is mindful of the crisis, and God is going to bring resolution to the whole community. All right? And I think, I think of the Old Testament where there's such bondage, uh, the Hebrews, under the tyranny of Pharaoh, and they are crying out to God. They are under slavery. They're, they're, they're being uh, just so severely oppressed, and they cry out to God, and they cry out to God, and cry out to God. And then God sends a deliverer. Well, in a way, Paul becomes a deliverer for the early church. So he was so animate against the Christians. He was the spearhead, the figurehead of persecution. He was the bad dude, the baddest of the bad. But he encounters Jesus, and that energy and that passion doesn't change. But it's redirected in the opposite direction. So now who is he going into the faces of? Any answers? I, I think I heard somebody say the Pharisees. Okay, so the Pharisee of Pharisees is now converted, and he's taking that same zeal, and he is contending and arguing in Damascus he was going to Damascus to kill Christians to imprison Christians and now he's in Damascus attacking the other viewpoint okay and this really irritates the Pharisees now what is what is Paul using for his defense of the gospel do you think You've got it in your hand, maybe. Yeah, he's using the word of God, okay? So this Jesus, whom they have rejected, who many of them have rejected, he is using their same scriptures. In other words, he shares the same worldview as the Hellenistic Jews that he is challenging. He's being an apologist. He's defending this perspective of the faith from their same authoritative scripture, Okay, and it must be making them feel insecure. It must be making them feel uncomfortable. In 929, we'll just take a little peek at that. And he, Paul, was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. Has, has anybody argued with you to the point where you wanted to kill him? Or at least had some pretty deep animosity towards them. Okay, so I, I'm saying I think there's still some lack of sanctification in Paul's methodology of approaching conflict or approaching the gospel. Okay, some people, it says he's arguing. I, I don't think we should be like arguing with people when we share the gospel. I, I don't see Jesus arguing with people when he is testifying 
to who the Father is and who he is. I think maybe that's not the right spirit. And if people want to kill you, I mean, that doesn't mean you're doing something bad because they wanted to kill Jesus too. But we can share something good in a very bad way that can really turn people off. Is that true? And when I first got saved, I think I did that a little bit to my family. And maybe you did too. I don't know. But we really need to be mindful of releasing the truth of God with the love of God and not feeding on conflict because Paul very well might have fed on conflict. I know people who literally feed on conflict and I don't think that's healthy. I think that's symptomatic of something inside that needs some healing. So, Paul is in Damascus arguing. Paul then goes to Jerusalem. Barnabas takes him up there. The uh, apostles are scared of him. Barnabas is like, no, he's good. He's fine. He's our MVP now. We got Brett Favre. He was with the Packers. But now Brett Favre is with the Vikings. They're with the good guys. So those cheeseheads, yeah, those cheeseheads can just go away because they're going to lose now. We got their, their key player, okay? So they take Favre into their community and... Uh, and good things happen, but bold Paul, he's in the, the center, the hotbed of persecution, and, and he preaches the gospel, right? He preaches the gospel to his former buddies, his, his compatriots, right, his Pharisee pals. He is sharing the word of God, and they're, they're uh, probably besides themselves, Paul's a genius. He's brilliant, and he will not back down, so... Um, so Paul needs to get out of Jerusalem because they want to kill him. Okay, but I, I think it's pretty awesome that God did this. Okay, so the tables have turned between the church and the old, the old religious system. The momentum has shifted, and Paul, again, he's like, he's on the, you know, there's this big tidal wave, and he, he's Paul of Tarsus. And the kingdom of God the power of the kingdom of God is moving as Paul moves. It's increasing. It's, it's gaining impact. It's gaining momentum. And it actually does say that Paul, when he got saved, um, that he started to increase. He, he was strengthened as he was, as he was doing this, which I think is pretty cool. So he himself was strengthened. And the fruit of this, the fruit of Paul's salvation and what Paul did had such a territorial impact. It had such a spiritual impact that instead of being ravaged, as we saw in chapter 8, the church begins to prosper again. Okay, so we, we go back to 931. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Okay, no more I'm going to go to your house and, and take you to prison because you believe in Jesus. That has stopped. There is circumstantial peace. God did what was necessary to alter some very adverse circumstances in the entire community of believers in this area, in this region, and instead peace and prosperity came. It says that the church continued to increase. They were no longer on the defensive. 
they were able to go on the offensive, okay? And I'm really encouraged when I read that, okay? So I want to do another prayer because some of us are in that situation. We're in a crisis, but God is able to shift things around. Before, I, before we pray, I want to tell you, here at Agrippa, he is, he is the, uh, the king over this province, and it was actually a good thing. Him and a stricter Roman, Roman gover governor in the area, they actually put the clamp down on this persecution too. So it wasn't just Paul. It was secular, we could even say pagan politicians that wanted to keep the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, in this region. And that actually was used by God to be a blessing for the Christians. Okay, so let's just think that God can work in really unspiritual ways through really unspiritual people to bless his people. And it's actually happened throughout salvation history. It happened with uh, Cyrus. It, it happened uh, with, with many, um, many over the, over the centuries. So regardless of who becomes president, I don't know that there's any on the right or left that are going to get the nomination that truly are saved just by their behavior. It wouldn't seem be to be the case. Doesn't mean God can't work through them, right? And we should pray for them regardless of what their beliefs are. So God blesses the church through Herod. Wow. Okay, Father, so we just, uh, we give our circumstances over to you, Lord. Some of us are in a crisis spot, but you're bigger than our crisis. Lord, it could be our family. Um, it, it could be our workplace, Father. It might be our health. It might be our finances. It might be relationships. And we choose to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us, God. And you're able to bring us peace and prosperity where there has been a ravaging of our lives. So, Father, we invite the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven to come into our lives, to come into our minds, to come into our hearts, to come into our spiritual experience, to come into our finances, to come into our place of work. We say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our lives, Father, in our hearts, in our relationships. And we, we give these areas of our lives over to you, Father. And we pray that you'd release peace, and we pray that you'd release prosperity into these parts of our lives and even reconciliation where there needs to be reconciliation. Let us not argue like Paul, but let us humble ourselves and take the low road where there's conflict. In Jesus' name, amen. So now the church is doing well, and the focus shifts from our buddy Paul to our other buddy Peter. So Peter leaves Jerusalem, and he's on a, a journey to visit some of these communities that have developed in Judea, right? Verse 32, Peter is traveling through all those regions. He came down also to the saints who lived at, at Lydda. There he found a man named Enos who had been bedridden eight years. So this guy has got some severe physical ailment, and he's probably not saved either. He was paralyzed. Okay, so Peter, who knows Jesus, who was with him for three years, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
who saw tongues of fire in the upper room, who speaks in tongues, who has a relationship with God, who hears from God, who believes in the miraculous, Peter looks at that circumstance and he thinks to himself, I know Jesus died, but I also know he rose from the dead. And I also know that I have incomparably great power because I believe he is the the Son of God. And there is a resurrection power of Christ in my bones, in my body. And he knows the heart of God towards broken humanity, that God is for humanity and not against humanity. So he says to him, in the authority that Christ has given him, Enos, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and make your bed. He makes a declaration and he says a command. And the power of God works through those words. The Spirit of God quickens that man's body and a miracle takes place. He gets up. Okay, so one man is blessed. Of course, that's going to lead somebody to faith. But not just one person, not just Enos. It appears as though everybody at Lita and and Sharon turned to God. It, It looks like there was revival. It looks like there was a mass coming to faith based on one miracle. Literally two provinces gave their lives to Jesus. That's pretty incredible. Okay? So now, over in Joppa, it's a, it's a town on the coast. They know Peter's in this region. They very likely know that a huge miracle has happened and all these people have come to Jesus. Well, one of their, their best people, Tabitha. Nick, do you like Tabitha? Okay, he likes Tabitha. Tabitha, she was a Christian who did a lot of good works in the Bible. She fell sick and died. And you know what? It was customary... When people died, it was kind of hot and blah, blah, blah. They, when they died, they would bury them immediately. But this community, this house church, did not do that. They, pu- they, they basically put her in the upper room. They washed her body. And they sent two people and they pleaded for Peter to come. So you know what I think happened? I think they heard about the miracle. They heard about the miracle over in this other town. They knew Peter was there. The Bible actually says that signs and wonders follow apostles. They will follow apostles too. So they had enough faith not to bury Tabitha, but to call for Peter. And Peter comes. Wow, okay. Uh, She's dead. She's not just paralyzed or sick. She is dead dead Uh, we don't see any situation where one of the followers of jesus is literally has operated in the power to raise the dead yet okay well peter comes he arrives they bring him to the upper room they're weeping peter sent them all out he kneels down and prays he kneels down and prays and I, i i think this is very important okay we might be in a situation where it's very important to act out in faith. Okay, I am very critical of the Word of Faith movement because I think that you can't just reduce the faith practice to a bunch of principles. I think you have to uh, literally be led by the Spirit that, that you can't apply the same principle to every case. 
Okay, so relationship is key, and Peter understands this. So instead of just operating in his authority, believing that she will be raised from the dead, he prays to God, and he seeks direction from God. God, how do you want to deal with this situation? And you think of all the different ways. When Jesus was confronted with sickness, he addressed it in different ways. Once he spat on the ground, right? And he put that spit with the mud on somebody, right? There's just, there, there's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit in these matters. So Peter is directed by the Holy Spirit. He is led to speak to the body. He says two words, Tabitha, arise. Two words. And she's risen from the dead. Okay, so those words were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they had power to bring back somebody from the dead. Can you do that? Do you have the same spirit that Peter Apostle had 2,000 years ago? The answer is yes. Did Jesus say that these signs will follow them that believe them like anybody who believes that Jesus is a son of God and rose from the dead? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. So this becomes known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed with them many days in Joppa. So all these, all these new converts need to be discipled. So Apostle Peter, Father Peter, is bringing them up in the Lord. He's hanging around. So crisis situations, God can miraculously turn them into awesome opportunities to bless people. Right? He turns a curse into a blessing. And we need to have the faith to believe that God is going to do this, that God is that good. I'm going to ask you a question. Why does God do miracles? Any thoughts on that? Because he cares. And I think that's one of the greatest answers anybody can give. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, he loves to show how great he is. Amen. Bring others to Christ. There has been such a burden in my heart, and there are probably others too. Do I sometimes see people get healed when I lay hands on them? The answer is yeah. But sometimes I don't. Okay, there's a lot of people with a lot of bad health issues, and you know what? I have them too. We have incomparably great power. Miracles are the inheritance of the body of Christ. But it takes faith to do it, right? How many people would like to operate in the miraculous? How many people would like to see people supernaturally healed by God? Okay? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask all of us to stand up who want this, and we're going to pray for that grace, for the faith, and literally for the gift of miracles to be imparted. So, Father God, we thank you that you are a supernatural God. You're not just a God of doctrine. You are a God of action. You are a God who comes into this world, who comes into the physical realm and brings transformation, who brings healing, who does miracles, who supersedes natural laws. Father, and you've equipped us with the Holy Spirit. And by your Holy Spirit, we can raise the dead. We can heal the sick. We can lay on hands and see them recover. So, Father, we, we declare that's your word, that's our inheritance, and that is your promise. 
So we ask you, Father God, in Jesus' name, to increase our faith. Faith is a gift. It is from you. And miracles are a gift. It's not something we muster up. It's your power. It's not ours. We just yield to it. So, Father, we ask literally for your Holy Spirit to release gifts of faith and gifts of miracles and gifts of healing into our midst, into our midst, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to step into communion, but here's what I'm going to do. When we take our communion after that, if there's anybody with a bodily ailment or if there's anybody who really is dealing with a crisis, you know that communion itself is a means of grace, the power of the body, the power of the blood that was shed for us. There is kingdom power in that, in that sacrament that is imparted to us. So we're going to break up into groups and literally pray for the miraculous to happen in each other's life. Okay? So now Nick is going to bring the elements. Yeah, that sounds good. So for people in the back, there'll be a station in the back. People in the front, guess what? There'll be a station in the front. We're we're gonna do it together. Yeah, we'll we'll take the elements together. I woke up early, early this morning with similar thoughts about the miraculous. God was releasing that to us and that we were to walk in the authority that we've been given. And you and you simply could do that. And you simply to step into it. We need to Please, yes. Um, during the praises, I, I saw people stepping into a flowing river. At first, they stepped in, it, and it was ankle deep. Then it was knee deep. And then they were, it was waist deep, and finally, the water fully covered them. And when they came out of the water, they were covered in gold. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So please, as you would like, just come and grab the elements and sit down and we will take them together. Stay with me. Oh, the blood. 
of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It will never lose its power. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus, it will never lose its power. The Bible says we are to examine ourselves, search our hearts. We want to take communion in a worthy manner. It's actually a very serious and sober thing to take communion. So, Lord, if, if there's anything we need to repent of or... If we need to reconcile with somebody, Lord, we need to ask for forgiveness or forgive somebody. Lord, just create in us a clean heart. Help us to take action, Lord, in our attitudes and our relationships. take this which represents your body that was broken for us right now. And we take this which represents your blood and we drink it in remembrance of you and in the promise of your return to this world and to us. In Jesus' name, take and drink. Father, we just ask that you would touch our bodies and touch our hearts, yeah. touch our minds this morning through the elements, yes. through the broken body and shed blood of our Savior and our Redeemer, the lover of our souls, Jesus Christ. And now we're going to transition. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. 
The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now please break up into groups and share some struggles that you really need the miraculous to to transform in your life with each other.